From Brown Cow Studios in Gallatin, Gateway, Montana, this is News Nerds. I'm Mr. Graham. The complicated relationship between Barack Obama and Joe Biden is mostly thought of through the lens of their two terms in the White House, but today's guest, New York Magazine writer Gabriel Benedetti, tells us that the relationship spans almost two decades. Benedetti's new book, The Long Alliance, which was published yesterday, profiles the two presidents' relationship from 2003 until this year, a time span in which he says the two men had a nuanced but at times turbulent relationship. We'll talk about the duo's decision-making, how their personal lives seeped into their professional ones, and what their relationship looks like now. It's Wednesday, September 14th, and this is News Nerds. National Affairs and Political Correspondent Gabriel Benedetti's new book, The Long Alliance, tells the story of Joe Biden and Barack Obama's nuanced relationship from well before the 2008 presidential campaign season to early 2022. The book shows that the relationship fluctuated as the duo dealt with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the economic crisis of 2008, Obama's health care plan, and later the turbulent election cycles of 2016 and 2020. DeBenedetti writes for New York Magazine, which he joined in 2018, but previously covered politics in the 2016 presidential race for Politico. He also previously covered the Obama administration and Capitol Hill for Reuters. Gabriel DeBenedetti, congratulations on the book and welcome to News Nerds. Thanks. It's great to be here. You're, uh, as I just mentioned, you've you've had uh, quite some experience in reporting on politics and uh, previous administrations that have controlled the government. And you wrote this book, um, The Long Alliance, which really goes in depth about the relationship between Joe Biden and Barack Obama, two figures that have really shaped the, the political uh, hemisphere and uh, environment for the last, uh, I guess, now more than a decade. It, did, you, did you learn anything from this book? And, and you know, what was the most surprising thing that you, you uncovered as you talked to uh, aides and advisors and uh, friends to these two in- influential yeah. figures. Totally. Uh, well, you covered it pretty well there. I think the, th- the reason that I wrote this book was that shortly after Biden won, there was a lot of commentary about the idea that he would just, you know, as president, be a restoration of the Obama years. But I knew that that wasn't true and that he didn't even want to be, you know, more or less a third Obama term. Obviously, they share a lot of goals and are pretty close. But I knew that, you know, Biden and Obama saw the world pretty differently and that Biden was actually kind of annoyed by the way that people were phrasing this as, you know, everything's back to normal. So what surprised me was the degree to which that was the case as I dug into it all. Um, I knew that this was a complicated relationship because every relationship between politicians is more complicated than they present it. But the sheer degree of ups and downs, just how low their downs were and how very different they saw the world differently they saw the world over their time together and the absolute highs of their time together, which was mostly personal stuff. I was very surprised, you know, this is a very nuanced relationship. And so I sort of expected to have obvious feats of, you know, they were very happy after they won re-election in 20, 2012 and they were very sad after Trump won. Well, that's all true, but there was a whole lot of peaks and valleys that were, you know, hidden from the public eye. Um, and, um, you you note in the back of the book about you know the sourcing uh, and and how you wrote this book. You didn't actually yeah. got, get to talk to any of uh, I mean, you you talked to a lot of aides and as I said advisors and friends. You but right. you didn't get to talk to either Biden or 
um, Obama. So um, how did that kind of play into the writing of the book? And how did you, you know, it seems like it would be hard to write a book about somebody who would, you would you'd never even talk to for the book. How, how did that play right. into your writing of the book? Well, it wasn't easy. Um, I, I'll say that I know that both presidents were aware of the book as it was being written. Um, and a lot of people who were very close to them did talk to me. I can't say much by way of specifics because of the agreements that I made with those people. Um, but I talked to hundreds of people who had a lot of firsthand experience with working with the two of them sometimes people who spent really extensive time with them over the years. So what I sought to do was not try to tell the story from their perspectives, but really try to get inside their heads as much as possible based on what they were telling the people around them at this time. You know, it is a long narrative. It starts in basically 2003 and goes, you know, into even a little bit of 2022. Um, So what I tried to do was get, you know, as close into their into their motivations, fears, hopes as possible, facing the people around them. And I try to be pretty open about the fact that, you know, I'm not getting this from them themselves. I wish, of course, that they'd talk to me, but of course, this is a difficult subject for them to talk about because it's their own close relationship that's politically very um, important, but also delicate. And so, you know, in some ways, I know that they would have tried to make the case that it's a perfect relationship and nothing is ever wrong. Um, whereas I think a lot of the people that I talked to were able to give me a much more nuanced take. And that was what I really wanted to do is explain to people what the modern presidency is really like, but also to try and, you know, provide a new lens with which to look at our recent history. Um, you know, things have changed a whole lot since 2003 and people have written a lot about how politics has changed, but what they haven't done is tried to do that through the lens of how these two men and their political worlds shifted with relation to each other over time. Um, I feel pretty confident that I talked to enough people who were close to them that, um, you know, I was able to capture that and, and for the most part, how they themselves thought about it. So as you mentioned, the book starts in 2003, well before the 2008 um, campaigning began. But um, in the political sphere, it seems like many politicians are really thinking about future presidential runs a long time in advance. And as the 2008 election kind of started to unfold and campaigning started to begin, uh, you, one thing that surprised me was how they interacted um, as uh, you know, senators, fellow senators, one who was very senior and one who was very junior in the rankings of, of the, the senators. Um, right. And they, re- they really uh, d- didn't have a, as good of a relationship as they they have now. Um, can you just yeah. talk about how they interacted on on Capitol Hill? Absolutely. I think this is something people forget about a lot, because, of course, when you think about Obama and Biden now, for obvious reasons, you think about them as two presidents. But when they first got to know each other, uh, Biden was a absolute veteran of the Senate. He'd already run for president once and had thought about doing it a bunch more times. Um, and this was after the 2004 election, which was you know when Obama joined the Senate and had sort of burst onto the scene as this political supernova because of his very impressive speech at the convention that year in Boston. Biden had thought that he was going to be President John Kerry's Secretary of State. So he'd been in the Senate for 30-something years. He was ready to leave it. He had run the two of arguably the two most important committees in the Senate, uh, Judiciary and Foreign Relations. So anyway, he gets back to the Senate after Kerry, surprisingly, in his eyes, loses. And everyone's focused on Obama. So you can understand that 
you know, Biden, who thinks of himself as the leading voice on foreign policy when it comes to Democrats. This is during the Iraq war uh, and obviously the war in Afghanistan. You know, he's not thinking a lot about Obama. And to the extent that he is, he's sort of not dismissive, but he's thinking, well, this guy's going to be important in, in a long time. This isn't necessarily the person that I need to be thinking about a lot. Obama, meanwhile, is just trying to get, you know, a handle on the place. They do end up interacting quite a lot in the Foreign Relations Committee because Obama joins this committee that Biden is running. And that's where he spends a lot of his time in the Senate. But what that really looks like in practice is him watching Biden talk a whole lot because Biden is the senior most member, or at least the highest ranking. And so he just basically gets to talk in these hearings, talk in these meetings. And Obama gets to talk eventually, but only after many hours of hearing Biden. So that was where his impression of him was really coming from. And it's just important to think, to, to remember that at that time in American politics, Biden was thought of as this, yeah, an institution of the Senate. Yes, he was taken seriously, but he also wasn't thought of as that important politically. People knew that he might run for president in 2008. He had run in 1988 and, and people thought he was going to do well until his candidacy was derailed. But he wasn't thought of as this titan of the Senate so much as just someone who'd been around for a long time. So you can imagine how both of them thought about each other. And there's this very telling story where the first time they really sat down for a conversation, Biden had invited Obama to his office in, on Capitol Hill because he'd heard that Obama wanted to join the committee. This is very early in Obama's time as a senator. Uh, and they have a pretty quick, easy conversation. Um, and then at the end, Biden says, OK, well, obviously, I'll make sure that you're on the committee. I don't see, you know, there's no problem there, but we should get to know each other a little bit better. So when we're both in town, let's, you know, get dinner. We can do it at this cheap Italian place, you know, uh, no worries. And Obama's sort of taken aback because he's thinking, who does this guy think he is? Why is he talking to me like this? At the moment, Obama had just gotten a big book advance, a big book contract. So he had money for the first time really in his life. And he responds to Biden and says, you know, I can afford it. We can go somewhere, somewhere nice. But Biden, of course, is thinking, you know, Biden is very sensitive about this, but he had, you know, he didn't have as much money as most senators. He joined the Senate as 29 and didn't have a real private sector career before that. So he's thinking, who, who does this guy Obama think he is? I can't afford it. So they really did not have a good impression of each other at first. Over time, they got to understand each other a little bit better. But in the Senate, you know, they just weren't buddies. And the, and then um, they get they get pitted as rivals in the election cycle. And um even though they were they were in the same party, they were campaigning for many of the same things. I noticed that they had some of some different uh, views on policy. Can you explain kind of the the even just the subtle differences of how they thought about policy then and how that might have changed as they became closer to get together? Sure, that's a good question. You know, the two thousand eight election, when Biden was running in it, there was a lot of policy discussion, particularly about the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, healthcare, things like that. Um, those were all big points, but Biden wasn't really central to most of the conversations as far as the national conversation about politics was going during that primary election, because that was so much shaped around Obama, Hillary Clinton, and John Edwards, who was the third big rival. So Biden tried to get in on these debates, but he was sort of seen as an also-ran, and he really bristled when he heard Obama talk about setting timelines, for example, to leave uh, to leave Iraq or to leave and, and you know, talking about how how he was pretty critical of the way that the war in Afghanistan was was being handled. 
not necessarily because Biden disagreed a ton on the substance, but because he felt that he wasn't being given the opportunity to talk about this stuff as much as he should, as someone who traveled to these places a million times, as someone who had been, you know, the chairman of the of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, beyond that, you know, they disagreed a little bit about about healthcare, and Biden thought it was crazy the way that some people were talking about, uh, you know, individual mandates to pay for healthcare insurance. Um, but but this wasn't a central fight between them, simply because to the extent that anyone thought about the the you know the relations between the different candidates during the primary process, Obama was thought of you know in the realm of Hillary Clinton, and then to a certain degree John Edwards. Biden lost pretty badly in the first primary, then had to drop out. So um, as they became closer, and they had to really cooperate as not rivals anymore, but as uh, running mates. Um, yeah. One one thing that stuck out to me from the book was how um, Biden was actually kind of told by Obama to kind of uh, challenge his point of view and to stretch uh, Obama's scope of issues. Can you tell me more about how Biden kind of s- stretched uh, Obama's point of view and gave him a, a, a view of as someone who had worked um, on committees and in the Senate that had really had a big part in the decisions that they were making now, especially about the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Absolutely. I think that this is a really important point that's underappreciated about their early relationship. And I'll just talk about the debates over the war in Afghanistan specifically, though this, you know, similar dynamics do come up when they're talking about Obamacare, for example, and, and other things too. But early on during the debates over what to do in Afghanistan, you know, Obama basically says to Biden that he's going to rely, need to rely on him a lot on this. Biden has the experience, but also you got to get yourself in Obama's mindset at the time. It really felt like the world was falling apart. The economy was not doing well, um, and and things were feeling pretty dramatically terrible in both Iraq and Afghanistan. So early on, Obama is presented with options from uh, military leaders about how to proceed moving forward in Afghanistan. Uh, Biden has been pretty open from the start with Obama that he thinks that they need to essentially change their strategy entirely. and, and focus more on smaller threats across the border in Pakistan and try to draw down the overall number of troops in Afghanistan. But Obama has a different set of incentives and has to have these constant debates with the generals, with his secretary of defense, Bob Gates, with Hillary Clinton, who's the secretary of state. And at one point he sits Biden down and says, listen, uh, I need to make sure that these convert that I understand every possible argument in these conversations. So what your role should be here is to try and stretch these conversations as much as possible. I need you to probe the military when they're trying to get me to do something and really pressure test them. Obama had made the calculation that it would be most useful for him during these meetings to sit back a little bit and ask a lot of questions, but not necessarily argue for his his uh, his preferred way to do things because of course, as the president, as the commander in chief, he doesn't need to convince the military though it's useful. He just needs to hear out the arguments. So pretty early on, Biden embraces this and you know, though no one ever explained to the generals that this is what he was doing, he started to get really annoying if you asked them, which was just prodding every single little thing they said about, you know, their assumptions about what strategy needed to look like in Afghanistan on the ground, about how many troops were needed. And in meeting after meeting, sometimes he went too far, Obama would say, you can reel it back in. But what he really tried to do was play devil's advocate as much as possible, to put it simply. Um, And Obama really came to appreciate that. And, you know, a lot of the military leaders really came to hate him for it, or at least thought, you know, this is a good guy, but he is so wrong. Of course, Biden wasn't saying out loud to these folks what he really thought, but he was telling Obama. 
Um, one of Biden's, uh, I would say, conditions for taking the job, because he never really thought of the vice presidency as, as one of the, the, the better jobs, um, was that he would have a big, uh, at least a substantial uh, part in decision making and that he would be included in every possible discussion or briefing about what was happening at the, at the time. Do you think that as Obama got to know Biden better, he kind of delegated more responsibilities to him more freely? Because you write in the book that, especially on the campaign, when when Biden are make, is making these these gaffes about, uh, you know, different aspects of the Obama's cam- of Obama's campaign, Obama kind of gets a little mad um, and, you know, on, yeah. even in public kind of admits that much. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the, you know, things that did come out in public. There was there was some tension when Obama would say, you know, Joe, as he put it privately, you know, I need you. I want your advice, like I said, but I want it in, in two minute increments, not 10 minute increments. He just thought Ob- Biden was, you know, needed to be reminded sometimes that he was the vice president and also that, you know, he shouldn't talk so much that he was being overly talkative and revealing a little bit too much. Though That wasn't, you know, the main uh, the main feature of their dynamic, but there's no 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 question that that was absolutely the case. You know, over time they did absolutely develop trust, but instead of delegating to Biden more and more big things over time, it was more that he felt like he could uh, rely confide in Biden during their converse their weekly conversations. You know, Biden had like you said essentially put up the the demand that he be in the room for every last big decision or be the last person in the room with Obama just in case Obama needed it and just so he could make his final argument. And Obama never fought him on that, although it just didn't happen every single time. Um, but he was awfully central to a lot of the really early pushes. He tried very hard, though, to be careful about which assignments he took because he had been a, a student of the presidency and vice presidency. You know, He thought he was going to be in the Senate for a very long time, and he was. But he'd interacted with seven different presidents and vice presidents over his, you know, seven different administrations, I should say, over his time in Washington. So he'd seen what what works and what doesn't. And one of the things he didn't want to do was be one of the vice presidents who just took on specific tasks and then was essentially sidelined from there. And that happened over and over. So he tried to make sure that instead of being, you know, given a few assignments over the years and Sometimes he did. Um, instead, the way that Obama looked at it was just that he was a partner over, you know, over and over. So we've just been talking about the the, the political and kind of strategic um, uh, relationship between the two men. But as as they kind of grew closer to each other, Biden became more comfortable with telling Obama um, more, more more personal things and. His yeah. son, Bo Biden, became sick after a stroke and just kind of worsened over the time um, that they were uh, in office. And I just was wondering, like, the the relationship between them was was so much geared toward, you know, politics and strategy that 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 to me seems like a turning point in the relationship, yeah. at least with, you know, confiding that his son was sick and that he really yeah. needed help with being you know emotionally stable as as the vice president absolutely you've you've hit hit the nail on the head you know their families did grow closer than both of them expected over the time uh over their time in office and that was even from the early days you know but it wasn't as if they were a lot of very close close family relationships that there were a few you know uh michelle obama became close friends with hunter biden's wife kathleen and Maisie biden who was one of biden's grandkids played 
uh, basketball with one of Obama's daughters. So there were some friendships. But I think what's underappreciated often is that in the weekly lunches that Obama and Biden had almost every single week when they were in office together, you know, they really did just talk yeah, about politics, yes, about strategy, but just like two guys who were going through, you know, feeling a lot of the pressures that no one else on earth could possibly understand. And that brought them pretty close together. They talked about what it was like raising a family uh, under that kind of scrutiny. They talked about just the how crazy the world had been getting. So they did grow close just because they were dealing with so much and because they were spending more time with each other than they were with anyone else. But you're absolutely right that the Bo Biden experience changed things. You know, it's sort of impossible to explain just how close uh, Biden was with his son, who he really saw as the better version of himself, as he often said. He thought Bo Biden was going to be president one day. Um, and, and Obama knew Bo Biden. Um, and then when Bo fell ill, it said a lot to everyone who knew that Obama was one of the few people that Biden felt like he could he could count on, that he could confide in. And that was true for a long time until Bo Biden passed away. That's also, by the way, what made it so uncomfortable, so so awful for everyone involved when Biden was considering whether to run in 2016 and Obama didn't think it was a good idea because they had grown so close. And so Obama understood his emotions so much. He didn't think that Biden, you know, could withstand uh, a presidential election. Uh, but Biden, of course, thought, you know, we're so close. I'm your vice president. Why aren't you supporting me? And it was very painful for both of them. Um, and during this this time that this is happening, the the 2010 midterms roll around and yeah. they they start uh, campaigning for some of the in, in battleground states that they're, they're thinking will matter most in the election. But now that we're in a midterm ourselves, do you see any parallels between then and what might happen this November? You know, there were a lot more parallels uh a few months ago, people really thought that this was going to look like this midterm uh, election was going to look like that one when the new president's party gets totally wiped out in the first midterms. Um, a lot of people thought that this was going to be just like 2010. Biden's gotten a bit of a you know political upswing, actually, in the last few weeks. So I think that a lot of people around him feel that that's no longer the case. But there's no doubt that especially because Biden and Obama felt some serious parallels that they thought they had done so much, both of them in their first two years as president, but that people just weren't understanding and that people were hurting too much to really give them credit for what was going on. Meanwhile, both of them felt both in 2010 and now in 2022, that the Republican Party's radicalization was not really being properly understood by the public and that it was a massive problem, though one that it took both of them a little bit too long to understand. As a result, you know, there was a lot of pessimism heading into 2010. Uh, people were really upset about the way that Obamacare had been passed. That That's where the, the parallels end, because right now, 2022, you know, there's, I think Democrats still don't think that they're going to keep the House, for example, but it's going to be a lot closer than 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 it was back then. As, as this was going on, Biden was thinking more about a, a run in uh, 2016. Um, his son Bo died, and you know that was that was set off until the next election cycle. But after Trump was elected, I think both of them kind of saw that they had a duty to step up and do something about what they saw as as a as a really a terrible event in the country's history. Um, can you describe Biden's uh, you know campaign uh, in 2020 and and how he? was thinking about that, how both of them were thinking about a Biden campaign in, in 2020. 
Sure. Biden, you know, didn't immediately think he was going to run for president, but he never ruled it out after leaving office in 2016. And that was a surprise even to him because he thought that he was just going to retire during the uh, Hillary Clinton years. You know, he'd set up like institutions for himself at various universities. He was just going to go give speeches. Uh, instead, he was really, really agitated about the Trump experience. And especially after the you know white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, he essentially decided to run for president. That was in 2017. The election was in 2020. Um, you know, he thought that Trump was such an aberration that it took someone like Biden to save the country. You know, he, he talked all the time about the soul of America um, and the soul. You know, he would say that this is a battle for the soul of the country. Uh, that's really how he saw it. And he wasn't really all that impressed when people said to him, you're too old for this. You know, the, the energy in the party is to the left. It's with Bernie Sanders, guys. It's not with you. You know, your time has passed. Obama never said any of that to him, obviously, but Obama was skeptical. You know, Obama obviously felt that after the 2016 experience, when he had uh, encouraged Hillary Clinton and not Joe Biden to run, that he didn't have the bandwidth to say to Biden, you shouldn't run. Um, But his skepticism was was pretty notable. You know, he said that he was going to be neutral from the start. And he talked to a huge range of people who wanted to run for president, Um, whether it was other senators, whether it was people like your governor, Steve, former governor, Steve Bullock, um, you know, a huge range of people, some of whom did pretty well, some of whom flamed out immediately. But he really let himself be a resource rather than a help to Biden. He did at one point get interested in, especially interested in Biden's campaign and started to be pretty useful. And he said, listen, Joe, you can use my image. You can use pictures of the two of us together. You just can't say that I'm endorsing you. And he sort of watched interestedly as more people started to try and use his image because, of course, he was very popular throughout the campaign. But in the lead up to 2020, he was wary of Biden running because he didn't want to see Joe get hurt again, um, as he had in 2016. And he was skeptical of the idea that Biden could win. During the campaign, though, he did start to get a little bit more involved once it became clear that Biden was best positioned to beat Trump. How do you see the Obama and Biden relationship now? Uh, Complicated still. Um, It's certainly true that they still talk, you know, periodically on occasion. They have not talked about the 2024 election, and I don't know if they will for a long time. they're both thinking a lot about their place in history these days because they both feel like this is a really dangerous time. Um, as a result, Biden isn't relying on Obama that much, but he's thinking a lot about their joint experience together. And Obama is very relieved to be able to finally have the kind of post-presidency and work on his own projects that about big issues facing the world um, that he wasn't able to do back in the, you know, back in the Trump years. But uh, they're not best buddies at this point. You know, they're not hanging out all that regularly. Um, And they're still very close by the standards of, you know, presidents and former presidents. But that's all I'd say about that. I was just wondering about a 2024 bid. Do you see that? I mean, especially in the in the weeks and I guess now months that we've seen um, Biden's administration kind of have an uptick um, in a, approval ratings. Um, do you see him seeking a 2024 bid as he's been widely saying? Yeah, he says he's going to, and I think there's no reason to believe that he won't unless he's not physically able to. Um, he w- he is the oldest president. He would be the oldest president. But uh, I think people who think that he's not going to run forget that he's been trying to run for president or at least thinking about it since the 70s. And the idea that he would just uh, you know give it up now sort of misses that reality. Well, uh, Gabriel De Benedetti, thank you so much. And uh, it was just great 
to read your book. I re- really recommend your book. It's called The Long Alliance. It'll be out September 13th. Thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was fun. is produced and hosted by me. We're on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com where you can catch up with episodes that you missed, subscribe to our newsletter, play our daily mini crosswords, and contact us. Find News Nerds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. We're also on community radio station KGVM every other week at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. They're at kgvm.org or 95.9 FM on your radio. Consider supporting them by going to kgvm.org slash support dash kgvm. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week.